Welcome back to Crimes Against Christmas, Chapter 15. She's Ferg. And he's Heather. <laughs> <laughs> and we're new old friends. Are we? Really not long now until Christmas. Get that shopping done. Shop small and local if you can, please. <laughs> we're picking up the story with four deaths on the island and tempers are starting to fray. Let's see what happens next. Chapter 15. Chemistry abounds. Michelle was standing a few metres away from myself and the raging twin peaks of Vickers and the Duke, looking to me for direction as the only one not yelling at her. I tried my best to explain the situation calmly, which is easier said than done when attempting to communicate over a distance with two men shouting accusations either side of you. Don't worry, Michelle. I, I think Father Vickers and his grace are just very tired, stressed and being a bit silly. With the Lord is my witness, I am not being silly. I was a prison pastor for a year so I can spot a wrong'un. Betty, Crimine, Drummer and now the princess are dead and the Duke here is my number one suspect. What bloody rot. It's this brainwashed zealot who's the murderer. Exacting some bloody judgment of the Lord or some other such hog's will. He basically admitted it, didn't he, Artridge? Michelle looked at me. Is that true, Mr. Artridge? Her eyes were wide and filled with fear beneath her chestnut fringe. I dearly wished I could offer a more definitive response than I did, but to be truthful, the events, and perhaps drinks, of the day were beginning to wear on me, and I wasn't at all sure I trusted anyone left on the island. Well, not really, no. Well, not in as many words. Father Vickers and the Duke both said some things, which, taken the wrong way, I suppose. I mean, certainly food for thought, but nothing for you to worry about, I'm sure. As I feared, my wishy-washy wavering didn't achieve the desired result and, in fact, merely served to send Michelle's decibel levels up into the range Vickers and Richtenstein had made their home. What? Nobody is making any sense, so will everybody just stop shouting? There was a certain irony to the volume she delivered her plea for quiet, but it had the desired effect. In what felt like another lifetime, I'd witnessed how quickly a mother's tongue had cowed the man mountain Jimmy McMickle, and Michelle's admonishment did the same for the men ranged before her. Three mouths closed in unison, and six eyes went to the floor. Quarrelling quelled, Michelle asked us if we'd seen Turtle recently. I looked up to see the fear back in her face. Her cheeks bunched around her eyes and the skin braced tight against the cold air, but also, I fancy, in an attempt to cover her true feelings. I don't know where he's got to. I got worried, so I started to look for him. Then I looked out the window and thought I saw him here with you lot, but it was just one of them statues. She gestured behind the bench. Are you sure you haven't seen him? Not since our brunch and the princess's, um... I longed to be able to find a pleasantly vague euphemism with which to end my sentence, but my mind was blank and I finished lamely with Princess's, um, uh, death. I assumed you two left together. We did. We went straight back to our room. But then he went to get us some food so we wouldn't have to leave and he didn't come back. I'm scared. Her face began to crumble in on itself and she raised a hand to cover her mouth, desperately trying to control her emotions. But a small sob broke free and with it... Vickers and Rishton Shan were released from the spell her outburst had cast, both clamouring once more. You've nothing to be scared of on my account, but you'll be wanting to talk to the bloody priest if you ask me. Me? This old demon probably drugged his snack. Where is he, you hellhound? I couldn't listen to another round of accusation and counter-accusation and grabbed each of them by the shoulder as firmly as I dared. 
Vickers hardly had the body of an Adonis, but the Duke had a shoulder apparently created from entirely misshapen nuts and bolts. I gave the pair a sharp shake to accompany my rebuke. Stop it, both of you! Michelle is upset enough already and neither of you are helping. If you're both so certain of the other's guilt, I suggest you head back to the house, grab some provisions from the kitchen, tasting one another's, and avoid one another thereafter. Go! To my disbelief, they both accepted my decree and began to make their way to the house. Vickers even reached out a hand to steady the duke as he stumbled on a tuft of grass in the lawn. Michelle and I also made our way back to the house, but headed to the rear door away from the main entrance. She was visibly shaken and Vickers and Rish and Shan's words were clearly still in her thoughts as she asked me. Do you think either of them are right, Mr. Archridge? Is one of them the killer? Surely they wouldn't have the strength to throw Mr. Criminet from the tower, would they? I don't know what to think, Michelle, I replied, and I was being truthful too. I was still lost in my search to identify the killer. Granted, I had a semi-plausible theory about the victims representing the seven deadly sins which might implicate Vickers, but isn't the point about their sins that they are more or less present in everyone at different times, so why should he snap now? The recent notion of the killer using drugs would explain something which had been bothering me since I saw Drummer's body. The oil magnate's nails were still perfectly manicured. If he'd been in a fight for his life, wouldn't you expect at least one of them to be chipped? That alone was enough to convince me that the Duke's testimony of the use of phosgene in Fuctofino's death was worth taking seriously, even if I didn't believe the culprit he suggested. In fact, as I've said, drugs and poisons opened up a whole host of other possibilities, including even my present companion Michelle with her tear-ringed eyes. Could this be an act to throw me off the scent? Maybe she and Turtle were in it together and his disappearance was also part of the ruse. It would explain how she could be in the corridor so quickly after Criminet's fall. I decided to try again to draw out some information from her without risk of interruption. I cast out my lure. To be honest, Michelle, I'm not quite sure I fully understand what was being said. What do you mean? She sniffed one final time, regaining her composure with a speed which I couldn't tell if it was suspicious or just the capricious nature of women. Dash difficult for a chap to chart the waters of female emotions, possessed as they are with hidden depths in places us men have all too easily exposed shallows. But I mustn't get distracted from fishing for information. My lure was cast, it had her attention, so I gave it a little jiggle. Well, the Duke said something about the smell of hay around the princess before she died, and he said it proved she was using phosgene, I think, but I don't have any way of knowing if that's true. Bingo. I'd hooked a big one. The thing about clever people is they can't resist an opportunity to show you just how clever they are. My simple ruse outed young Michelle as quite the scientist. It is true. You smelled it too. I began to reel her in. Gently, gently, Artridge. What? No. And it's pronounced Fosgene, not Fosgane. She corrected my deliberate mistake. It does smell of hay. He was right about that. Oh, I see. Well, that's interesting. How do you know about Fosgene? I worried for a moment I'd tug too hard on the line with that one as she stopped walking and looked at me, deciding whether to go on. Thankfully, her pride won out over her prudence. Fosgene, Mr Artridge. I'm an assistant at the local pharmacy back home and my boss makes me read up on all sorts. He says we have to know everything that's out there in order to put our patients first. There are customers, I try and tell him, not our patients. But then he said, it's the same thing and not to try his patients. Which I thought was quite funny, but he didn't laugh. Really? So you know a lot about drugs and chemicals and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's how I met Turtle. 
He came in looking for something to help with the joint pain you get sometimes. The mention of Turtle crumpled her face once more. Oh, Terry, here I am boasting about my job when Terry is out there somewhere lost or worse. Calm down, Michelle. It's okay. I'm sure we'll find him together. We'd reached the door. I took hold of the shapely brass knob and swung it open. I intended nothing more than the common courtesy of allowing the lady to enter first, but it inadvertently became an act of great showmanship, as on the other side stood young Mr Dove in his blue suit. His arms were bulging with his haul from the kitchen. Bread rolls, boiled eggs, a couple of bottles of dark beer and an entire wheel of cheese wrapped in muslin. On his face he wore a confused look, which transformed into a sheepish grin when he turned to the door and saw his beloved. Shell, there you are! Sorry, Duchess, I went to get some grub and that, and on the way to the kitchen it was dead simple, but I must have gone through a different door on the way back because I ended up in this massive corridor with loads of doors and that. I kept opening the doors, which didn't go anywhere, and then I ended up back here. The reunion of Turtle and Michelle was what one might expect from a couple with their dynamic. They shared an embrace, made awkward by the supplies he'd bundled in his grasp, and then Michelle promptly pulled away and punched him on the arm for worrying her so. There followed much good-natured grovelling apologies, earnest forgiveness, and even another abortive poem from Turtle before they remembered they weren't alone. Terry was adamant the back passages were a labyrinth that not even Theseus with Ariadne's string could navigate. The classical reference is mine, not his. He said, It's proper crazy. Nobody could never find the way out of there. But after a few wrong turns, we found our way back to the kitchen where I filled my own pockets with a morsel or two, and from there, I remembered the winding route back to the Great Hall. The hall wasn't looking quite as festive as it had the night before. Elements of this morning's fateful brunch lay hurriedly discarded in our haste to put as much distance between ourselves and Fuctifino's final dance as possible. The only light in the room was coming from the candles which were burning low on the grand mantelpiece. I thought I should snuff them out as we passed along before the flames reached the greenery dotted with decorations strung along the shelf. As I extinguished the candle closest to our entrance, Michelle grabbed my upper arm and whispered, Stop! Someone is over there! Look! Sure enough, there was a figure hunched in the same Rococo chair from which I'd been the audience for Lord de Planis's homage to his first meeting with Turtle. The light thrown by the candles was not enough to counter the dim glow of moonlight streaming through the window behind the seated figure, leaving them silhouetted and unrecognisable. Do you think it's another victim, Mr Artridge? hissed Turtle. The way the body was slumped over itself, and the total absence of animation it registered at the entry of our little group certainly suggested at least a lack of consciousness. I don't think so, but we should go and check in any case. Right, Mr Artridge? Yes, just what I was going to say. I was actually going to suggest we head back the way we came and take the long way around, but I could hardly say that now, could I? Michelle picked up the closest candle from the mantel and held it out towards the fall. The flickering light illuminated just enough of the room for us to make out who was slouched on the chair, chin tucked tightly into a chest which was thankfully rising and falling with the steady pace of sleep. It was Turtle who formally made the identification. It's the Lord bloke. The planners is having a nap. Indeed he is, I agreed, exhaling for the first time in minutes. But what's he doing here? Why would you choose to sleep at the scene of a murder? Probably because he's a creepy old sod. Michelle hit Turtle on the arm with the back of her hand. There was steel in her eyes and, judging by the wince of pain which flashed on young Terry's face, a decent amount of iron in her fist. Terry, don't talk about people like that in front of Mr Artridge. Please, Duchess. Sorry, Mr Artridge, I don't really know what the rules are for talking about fancy people and that, but Lord Daplanus and his father-in-law, the Duke, both give me the creeps. It's fine to talk freely, Turtle. 
In fact, I'd say it's to be encouraged. The fewer secrets there are at the moment, the better for all of us. I was keen to know more about any unusual behaviour. Can you be a bit more specific about exactly how they, um, give you the creeps? Can I, Shell? The look he gave his beloved supported any suspicions I might have as to the ferocity of the young woman. Her eyes found turtles and her mouth set in a rigid line as she considered the question. Then she flicked a demure glance at me from under her fringe and said, You're right, Tail. You're always right. We can trust Mr Artridge. He'll be on our side. Their side? Their side of what? I suddenly had a vision of these two roaming the country and veigling their way into stately homes all around the land with the singular intention of class-based homicide. They were like those couples one reads about in the wrong sort of paper, who can only fill a particular gap in their relationship with bloodletting, disfiguration and murder. And now I was on their side. It was a ridiculous thought, and I pushed it to the recesses of my mind instantly. But it remained there, crouched in the shadows next to the knowledge that Michelle was very well versed in chemistry. I tried to talk my way out of any compact I may have unwittingly entered into, aiming for breezy with my tone, but landing a shade more on the side of jabbering fool. I don't know about sides. We're all on the same side after all, aren't we? Oh, you know what shell means, Mr Archridge. You're more like us, aren't you? Not a proper posho like them. Well now, this was a bit of a quandary. If these two were indeed a pair of murderous Robin Hoods killing the rich, I'd no desire to be on their list of poshos, but I was wary of aligning myself too closely with them at the same time. Also, I'll admit that while I may not be landed gentry, I certainly viewed myself as a cut above the likes of Terry Dove and Michelle Malowan. I played for the safety of the non-committal middle ground and tried to steer the conversation away from me and back towards Lord de Planus and his unnerving ways by asking Turtle what it was about de Planus and Richtenshan which disturbed him. It's hard to say, really. I just feel like they're both always looking at me funny, staring at me like I'm an animal in a zoo or something. Well, there have been many uncomfortable and upsetting events the last couple of days. You'll have to forgive any uneasiness people display. I'm sure it's nothing specifically to do with you, just the general stress of the situation. Now it was my turn to feel the force of one of Michelle's backhanded blows. Shh! She whispered as she struck me. Now look here, that hurt! I said by reflex. I, I wasn't hurt by a woman. Ridiculous. Sorry, but you need to be quiet. He's waking up. Look! She was quite correct. Deplanus was shifting in his seat and stretching out his arms with the unmistakable yawn of awakening. The poor bugger must have had quite the fright to blink open his eyes, only to find three pairs staring back at him by candlelight. If the tableau was shocking, he masked it well. He gave a couple of smacks of his lips, a rub of his face, and drowsily took us in. Then he began to converse as if this was the most natural way in the world to wake up. Ah, Archridge, good evening. Turtle, Michelle... What a horrible turn of events this has been. Four people. Four people dead in my house. Four. He pointed to himself, then Michelle, Turtle, and finally me, counting with each prod of a finger. One, two, three, four. All dead in my house and at Christmas too. His speech was slow and he moved as if the air was made of treacle. This man had been drinking deeply. I didn't blame him a jot. Come to think of it, a little nightcap would be most welcome. It had been a while since I'd left my cosy parlour cocoon with its agreeably well-stocked sideboard. I cast a glance to the little table next to his lordship, but the decanter was empty. Probably for the best, I thought to myself. 
On reflection, I'm not sure I'd want to drink from any open containers that had been left lying around to have who knows what added to them. I was heartened to remember that I still had the remains of the McMickle's dusty bottle of Dewar's at the bottom of my luggage, waiting for me back in my room. It's terrible, your lordship, but there's little we can do at this hour. I think it's best we all retire to our rooms and sleep with our doors firmly locked. Yes, you're probably right. Good man, Hartridge. That's what you are. A good, noble man. He began to rise out of the chair, but stumbled slightly. Turtle lunged forward quickly to arrest his fall when the Lord straightened up and clasped Turtle's cheeks in both his hands and stared at him with such an intensity his left eye began to twitch. Deplanus's face was pinched, but his voice still had a dreamy, friendly quality, filled with more warmth than I'd heard from him before. Tell me, Turtle. You don't mind if I call you Turtle, do you? Of course you don't. Tell me, Turtle, Mr Turtle. Can you roll your tongue? Turtle was, not unreasonably, discomforted by the strength of the Lord's grasp and the proximity of their faces. I saw his neck muscles straining to extricate his head, but Deplanus's grip held firm. What, what did you say? Your tongue, boy. Can you roll it? Curl it in on itself? By now, a combination of confusion, fear and embarrassment had Turtle looking as if he was about to burst into tears. Michelle tried to break whatever enchantment was being worked on Deplanus by drawing his attention to her. Do you mean like this, your lordship? She stuck her tongue out and twisted it in such a fashion that she'd made a tunnel from its sides, creating a sort of meat straw one could imagine exotic animals using to funnel insects into their mouths. I think I can do it. Diplanus's eyes never left the boys as he dismissed her efforts. His voice no longer had the languid delivery of a fond drunkle uncle. A drunkle, if you will. Now it was hard-edged and clipped. Can you? Fascinating, I'm sure. But I was asking Mr Dove here. Can you do it, Turtle? Turtle extended his tongue, so its tip was almost touching the nose in front of him and curled the sides up and towards each other to create his own funnel of flesh. Is this it, sir? I couldn't watch this bizarre exchange any longer and placed a hand on Deplanus's shoulder, tugging him slightly towards me. Are you feeling okay, Lord Deplanus? The peer's eyes finally broke off their fierce stare, flicked down his nose to take in the act of oral origami Turtle had achieved and began blinking. His entire face relaxed. Colour rushed into his fleshy cheeks and he shook his head as if trying to dislodge water from his ears. He looked at his hands, either side of Turtle's face, like he had no idea how they'd got there and pulled them away as one would from a hot stove. He stroked himself down his chest and took a shuffling step backward, then pivoted and made his way to the door with the same bumbling gait which I'd first seen him enter this room, eyes down, scuffling steps pausing every so often to look up, baffled as to what direction he was travelling. He muttered to himself throughout his exit and threw some of his comments over his shoulder in the direction of our shell-shocked trio. Awfully sorry. Don't know what. Terribly tired. Dropped too much to drink, no doubt. Sorry again for acting strangely. Didn't mean to. Good night. Michelle put both her arms around her man who was stood stock still staring after Deplanus. He didn't take his eyes off the door as he numbly said to me, See what I mean, Archridge? Creepy. I'm inclined to agree, Turtle, but let's try not to worry about it tonight, eh? All we can do for now is retire to our rooms and lock the doors. There are only two more nights to get through and then the boat returns and we can all be shot of this. The two young lovers murmured their agreement, but I could tell they were scared. I suggested they take a candle each from the mantelpiece so at least they'd have some light for their trip upstairs. Turtle surprised me by worrying that people might think he'd stolen it if a candlestick turned up in his room. 
but I assured him I'd vouch for his honesty, and that I doubted that any such minor crimes would be a priority once the authorities arrived. That'll be good news for whoever nicked those decorations, then, he said as he and Michelle turned to leave. His comments set my investigative senses ringing. Was there a chance here that I was about to get an assist in solving the theft of the Fabergé bauble from a most unlikely source? I'd almost given up hope of the £200,000 on offer. What did you just say? Well, just that someone's half-inched somebody's decorations on the mantelpiece. But if you're right, they'll get away with it because of the murders in there. Mantelpiece decorations? I'm not interested in them. Have you heard anything about a bauble? I was tired and stressed, so my line of questioning was not subtle. What are you talking about, mate? I haven't heard anything, Artridge. There are just less ornaments on that mantelpiece than when we arrived. Michelle gasped and drew her hand to her mouth. Oh, my God, Terry, you're right. I scanned the top of the fireplace but couldn't see anything obviously out of place, so asked Michelle what made her so sure. She pulled a deep breath in and explained. Well, when we were having those welcome drinks, I noticed that there were 12 of them. It made me feel awful because I thought, oh, I bet everyone was supposed to get one on Christmas Day, but I've ruined it by being the uninvited 13th resident. Now there are only eight. Eight? I echoed dumbly. My mind was racing and looking at Michelle. It was clear she had had the same thought. Turtle was some way behind, though. Well, that's a bit funny, isn't it? Someone's nicked four decorations and there have also been four murders here. Oh, bloody hell! You don't think... I cut him off. I'm afraid I think we do think that, Turtle. Oh, my goodness! What do the missing decorations mean? Find out tomorrow, and remember, if you rate and subscribe to the podcast, it really helps us out. As does telling your friends, it's not too late to catch up with the story before Christmas. Bye! Bye.